You may be seated. Father, we pray now that you would guide us into all truth as we look at this very familiar passage, exciting passage, and we want to glean from it today what it means for us today in this time, in this season. We believe your word is alive and it is true, and you have something for us today, Holy Spirit. And so speak to each one of us individually, but also speak to us corporately as the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. So we've been doing and going through these five practices of fruitful congregations. And today we're looking at intentional faith development, as we've seen in this passage from Acts chapter 2. In particular, that verse 42, right? That verse 42. I was thinking about this story. I mean, sometimes I don't know how my mind thinks, but anyway. And uh, John and Charles Wesley, they were two young men, um, and they were at a place in their lives where they felt they were called to be missionaries. And so in 1735, they left for America for the Georgia colony, and they were going to work among the indigenous. But on the ship in 1736, there was terrible, there were many storms, but there was one storm in particular that shredded their mainsail. The water began to flood the decks. The water began to come down into the cabins underneath. And everybody was terrified in fear. And they say the English were terrified in fear. <clears throat> Why do I say that? Because on that same ship were a group of German Moravian Christians. And as they were on this ship, while the storm was going on, they had gathered together and they were singing. Everybody else was terrified. Somebody had come up to John, at that time a bishop, uh, a minister in the church, and, and said to him, can you baptize my baby because the ship is going down. And, and so he's there on this ship that looked like it was going to sink, baptizing this baby. And in the meantime, while he's trying to do this and everybody's in fear, there is this group singing, gathered together singing. And they were men and women and children, and they had no fear. And they didn't even seem to be afraid to die. Wesley looked at these people, John Wesley, and he said, they have something. They have something I don't have. What is it? How can they be so uh, joyous in the midst of a storm? And so they went to America, him and his brother Charles. Many of the hymns we sing this in our hymnal is from Charles Wesley. And, and, uh, and so they went well, it didn't turn out like they thought. Two years later, they come back from America defeated, totally defeated. But that nagging thought never left John. John knew about that group that he had met on the ship. And what did they have that he didn't have? And the rest, my friends, is history. Any that have studied church history, on May 24, 1738, he attended a Moravian Society meeting on Eldersgate Street in London. Aldersgate Street in London. It was a Moravian society meeting. It was a Moravian Bible study. And so John gets home, and he's home defeated. Had tried to be a missionary, and it didn't work out. And so he's so defeated, as he comes home, he looks now for this Bible study with this group of German Moravians. And that night, upon hearing Martin Luther's preface to the Romans... He wrote about his experience. Now, did you hear me right? 
That night, upon hearing Martin Luther's commentary, the introduction to the book of Romans, not even the word of God, he's hearing somebody talk at this point. They just opened the meeting, and they're reading a comment from a commentary. And John Wesley says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John had been transformed in that evening, in the moment, in a moment of crisis, he was totally transformed and changed. And in that moment that he was totally changed, it can be arguably said that everything happened in some ways because of that simple German Moravian group that sang on a ship in the midst of a storm. All of England would experience one of its greatest revivals through Wesley and others at that time. Because of this inner transformation, it began to transform the community at large. And it gave birth to Methodism. Now hear me right. As Anglican ministers, they had no vision of starting a new denomination. But because of what God was doing in their lives, they were pushed out. And being pushed out, the followers were so methodical, they decided to call them Methodists. And that is where Methodism came from. And the truth of it is, today, that's where we find our roots as the Church of the Nazarene. Our founder in the Church of the Nazarene was a Methodist. And so we have our roots within Methodism and what happened to John Wesley. But here's a big question today. We've got lots of questions today. Have you been transformed? Have you been transformed? Can you point to a time in your life like John Wesley when everything changed? In that moment, in that crisis, you just know. Now many will say it wasn't his salvation, it was his infilling of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into that argument, but I know that John Wesley walked into that Bible study that night defeated, and he walked out in the power of God. He was changed, and he was transformed, and he brought transformation where he went. If we don't humbly bear with those who are struggling, we are not living worthy of the calling, somebody said. If we aren't working diligently to unite with one another, we are not living worthy of the calling. We cannot live independent of the body of Christ and still be a part of it. And here's the other question. Is God still transforming you? See, there's something for me to say that God has transformed me. Back at camp 40 years ago at a moment, an altar of prayer, at a crisis, I found Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Praise God. That's where it starts. Did you hear what I said? That's where it starts. That is not the whole thing in the end. It starts there. I've always said to people, it's like a doorway. It's like all of a sudden you stand there and there's a door that you've never seen before. And this is the way of salvation. And Christ has died for me. And I can walk through this door. And I can be forgiven and set free, hallelujah, and cleansed. And then I walk through that door and I walk. <laughs> and I continue to walk with the Lord. I don't stand in the doorway and say, hallelujah for the door. I'm just going to stand in this doorway forever. Doors are made to what? Enter in and walk through. And you need that door, though. You have to walk through that door. Notice that John and Charles were trying to do things on their own strength. And for two years, they left country. They did wonderful things. 
but no power was in it. And they came home defeated. And so the importance for us to realize, we heard this at assembly from our general superintendent. He reminded us again that faith is a crisis. You have to have a moment when you can nail it down and say there was a moment. It comes in a crisis. But faith is also a process, right? It's a crisis, but it's also a process. That's why we believe that. We believe that as holiness people, that God is transforming me and changing me. Praise God. I'm not the same person I was. I thought Pastor Mike would say amen to that. <laughs> and it happens in an instant. But it takes a lifetime. And it's so important for us to have those together. And it happens to me individually. Don't tell me that your mama came to church and grandma came to church. And so because I sit in church, I'm, I'm saved. Because I sit in church. No, my friends. It is personal. You have to have that personal experience with Jesus Christ. I'm glad you've got tradition. I'm glad that you were raised in the church. I'm glad you went to camp. I'm glad you went to Sunday school. But unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're missing it. But here's the other side, church. Because many of us have a personal relationship with Jesus. It is personal, but it is also community. Our faith is to be lived out in community. That is what God has called us to. So we have personal faith and we have corporate faith. The truth is you have been given the gift of faith, but you are responsible to nurture it. Did you hear that? You have been given the gift of faith, but you are responsible to nurture it. You are responsible to do that which needs to be done. I can use the example of the plant uh, to care for it to water it, to do what needs to be done for it to grow. And so many times people will say, you know, Pastor, my goal of my faith is to get to heaven. Or my goal of my faith is to be in the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you something. That's wonderful that you're saved and on your way to heaven. It's wonderful that one day heaven is not our destination. Heaven is our waiting room until the kingdom comes and the trump sounds and we rise together. And enter into his kingdom together. And so you'll be reunited with a body, a glorified body, not just in spirit. And so God doesn't want you to remain in spirit. He wants you to be spirit and body and enter into his kingdom. But that's not the goal of your faith. That's your destination. Do you know what our goal of our faith is? To be changed daily into the image of Christ. That is the goal of our faith. Daily to be changed and transformed into more like Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And so this takes a lifetime. Oh, my friends, I might look a little bit like Jesus, but I'll tell you I don't look always a lot like Jesus. No laughter there today. I can look more like Jesus. It's a goal. It's a goal that I keep pressing on towards. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be at a place where people see me and they say, there goes a little Jesus. There goes someone Christ-like. Christian. There's a Christian. That's what Christian means, by the way. Christ-like. And so that's the goal of our faith, that God hasn't taken you home yet. Did you notice that? Say to somebody, God hasn't taken you home yet. 
Are you awake with me today? You're still here. Hallelujah. So God isn't finished with you yet. And if you are in Christ, you've got nothing to fear. For, <laughs> you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And one day we will be in his presence in our spirit, and even a greater day is coming when the kingdom of God will come, and those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we will meet them, and we'll enter into the kingdom. That is biblical. But what do we do in the meantime? What's the goal? The goal is to be more like Jesus. The goal is a process. And so it's great that I've had an experience with Jesus 25 years ago, but what is God doing in your faith today? Do you know, often I'll say to people, I will say, so what, what's God doing in your life this week? Well, Pastor, when I was at camp, when I was 18, I went to an altar. Okay. But what is God doing in your life this month? Well, you know, and when I was there, and I'm like, wait a minute. We all should be able to give account and testimony of, yes, what God did that moment at the altar when we prayed. But what is God doing in your life today? What is, what is Christ changing and transforming in your heart? What victories have you been able to win? Well, that's going to mean that you're going to have to be a little honest, too, with people. But let me tell you what I used to struggle with three years ago, but let, let me tell you what God has released me of today. God is wanting to change us, and so faith is a crisis, but it is also a process. And so to have the mind that was in Christ, God wants to shape our thoughts and our attitudes and our values. And he wants us to mature and grow and cultivate until the fruit of the Spirit becomes part of our lives. Uh, part of our DNA, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when I read that list, I'm like, oh Lord, I'm not there yet. But you're not finished with me yet. Wouldn't it be great if we kind of put stickers, bumper stickers on the song and say, God's not finished with me yet. There's still hope. Praise God. There's still hope. And so all of this is taken care of in this um, intentional faith development, what we're looking at. So just for those that are new, we looked at the first week, uh, and thanks to Janet for that. That was her response to open up their home for people in response to this radical hospitality that we are willing to be the lover of strangers and we're willing to use what God has given us to reach out to other people and draw them in. And then last week we looked at passionate worship and passionate worship is individual but it is also corporate. And today we are looking at this intentional faith development. You still with me? Amen. Mm. So Christ's gracious invitation through radical hospitality embraces us and nudges us to open ourselves to forming relationships and God's transforming presence in passionate worship opens our hearts to Christ's pardon, love, and grace, creating in us a desire to follow. Growing in Christ requires more than weekly worship, though, and it is intentional faith development that God's Spirit works in us, perfecting us in the practices of love as we grow in the knowledge of love for God, of God. That's Robert Schnaz. And if you notice, perfecting 
For too long in the Church of the Nazarene, we have thought that when we talk about holiness or sanctification, well, that's a bunch of perfect people. Well, we've met them, and they're not perfect. <laughs> and we found that out. And we're like, well, there's something wrong. What's wrong with this holiness message? And the truth of it is, it isn't perfect people. It's people who are willing to be perfected. There's that process again. That we're willing to let God do his work in and through our lives. And so our verse today, verse 42, you heard it already. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those are the four marks that make a Christian church. Did you hear me? That's what makes a church a church, not another community organization or an association. It's those four qualities that break from the inception of the church in the book of Acts. Every church is to practice through every generation, in every culture, in every language group. It's those four crucial uh, aspects, practices of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Hmm. That's a hard word. That's a word I want you to think about for a moment. Devoted. You know, often we can say, I'm devoted to my spouse. And my spouse is devoted to me. That's what we hope for in marital life, isn't it? But it is true in church life. Would people say you are devoted to Christ? Would people say you are devoted to this church? Would people say that you're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? And that's what this passage starts with. They were devoted. That's, that's intentional. Devoted is intentional. That's deliberate effort, purposeful action. And you know, it's interesting because sometimes there in the church, I don't know where it came from, that we had this idea, well, I'm a Christian, but that person's really serious about Jesus. They're a disciple. Like, where did that come from? We're either a disciple or we're not. There's no such thing as I can be a Christian without being a disciple. And guess what's another root word for disciple? Displeasure. Disciplines. We don't like disciplines. But that's nurture. That's care again. Or we can go around looking like this. Or we can embrace the disciplines of faith. And remember we said the Methodists were called the Methodists because they were very methodical in their faith. And another way of saying that was they were devoted. And so we see that they were devoted to the teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and corporate prayer. This is why, as the church, we take faith seriously. We take our faith journey seriously. This is why we do VBS and we have youth ministries and we have Bible studies and we have prayer meetings and you come for Sunday school before church starts and we do all these things because this is essential to the faith. This isn't optional. This isn't, well, mother, I feel like you're not. This is what makes us a church and makes this place at the corner of Dock Road and Western Road a place for worship and for God because it makes us different than the community center up the road. 
Because we are devoted to him and we are devoted to each other. And we are devoted to these practices that help us to nurture the faith. Now, a lot of people will say to me, Pastor, that's great that you're having vacation Bible school for the kids and Kids Connection. And Oh, isn't that wonderful that our youth are going off to NYC? They should go to NYC. And, and you know, they need to be in Sunday school. And that's great, Pastor, that you're doing these ministries in the church because those kids need it and those youth need it. Oh, my friends. Guess what? We lead by example. We lead by example. And it's not just, nowhere in God's word does it say it's for the kids, children, and the youth only. Praise God, it is for them. But it is not just for them. It is for all of us that this is an integral part of our lives. And so they were devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching. They were submissive. Well, that's another great word. <laughs> Disciplines and submissive. You can tell I'm really preaching a message today to be popular. Not. Oh, so many are getting married. Pastor, take that word out of the phrase. I don't want to submit to my husband. Well, God help the marriage. That's all I got to say. Because also, he's to submit to you equally. And both of you are to submit to Christ. And if you've got any attitude that you're not willing to submit, it's not going to get very far. Because marriage is all about submission. And so, my friends, also for us, about the teaching and the learning, you know, it's about submitting to someone that is over us in the Lord. And so here's another question today. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you a person that's willing to learn and grow? Or is it always what I've always believed and what I know and that's it? I, I had down here. Are you a know-it-all? Because if you're not teachable, guess what? You're a know-it-all. You've got it all figured out. You don't need anybody. You don't need anyone to teach you. And that's not true for these. These men and women were devoted to the word of God. They came under the teaching of the word of God. You know what one of the problems is today? And this is not thus saith the Lord. This is Pastor Betty saying this. We live in a day that we like a smorgasbord. We like a whole thing. We like to go in and turn the radio on and get this and go over here and get that and then come down here. Oh, maybe we'll show up at church and listen to what the pastor has to say. And then we're over here and we're over there and we're all over the place. Now, nothing wrong with growing in your faith and your knowledge. But there comes a place when you prayed for us to come and you said, when we arrive, God, thank you. These are our spiritual leaders. And so I would say to you, if God placed us here and we are your spiritual leaders, then you should allow us to speak into your life and allow you to grow in your faith. And that's what it means to come under the apostles, the leaders, the shepherds teaching. And so that's what I'm just challenging you with. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 2. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing why what? The Word of God. And so we need the Word of God. The Church of the Nazarene is realizing in these recent years that something is missing in our denomination, and so there's been this new drive towards discipleship. Even when we were at District Assembly, they said the websites and things are still working it out. But basically they're saying that every time we come together as a church... There's an opportunity for discipleship. 
And so when we do Vacation Bible School, is about discipleship. When Kids Connection, we've had that discussion, is about discipleship. Youth is about discipleship. Sunday School is about discipleship. We should be asking ourselves, are people growing and maturing in Christ when we gather? Because that is ultimately what the purpose is. They devoted themselves to fellowship. My friends, I cannot say it enough. We are better together. Say to somebody, we are better together. We live in a day where everything is about Lone Rangers. It's about, it's just me and Jesus. It doesn't matter about this organized religion and this church thing. I, I just love Jesus and Jesus loves me and that's all there matters. My friends, you've missed it. That God wants us to mature in our faith, learning together in community. There is something powerful when we sit down together to study God's word, and I have a different story than you have. I have a different background than you have. I'm not like you, and you're not like me. And something powerful happens when we pray together, or when in this particular situation, have fellowship together, and read together, and study together. God has put us with a bunch of of misfits. You know that? We're a mixed bag. Look at the early disciples. What were they? Did Jesus go out to find 12 that all looked alike, think alike, act alike, had the same background? No. They were all different. And it was in that diversity that God was able to mold all of them into the men that he had called them to be. And it is easy for us to find people who look like us, smell like us, act like us, and think like us. Because then we have no issues or problems to work out. But what a bore. That is the most boring thing. That Christ has come to give the church life. And that life is lived out with people who don't think like you. And that's okay. That's okay. That's awesome. You know why? Because you know where our unity is found? Our unity is found in Christ and in diversity, not conformity. God is not looking for conformity or cloning. God is looking for us to find unity in the midst of diversity. And then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We did a whole uh, midweek Bible study on the importance of Jesus met at the table with people. Did you notice that? He ate out with people a lot. He sat at people's tables and and shared the truth of God's kingdom at the table. But what we're talking about here is the early church would work all kinds of hours. And they didn't have weekends like we have. And so often what they would do is after work, they would meet, some believe, in a home. Or some believe that can be interpreted in Acts 2 from home to home. They met. And as they gathered in the homes, they would have a meal together. Paul talks about this because the ones who were more wealthy would show up to church earlier, the group, and they would eat before the ones who were poorer, who had to work late, would come in, the food was all gone. And so Paul admonished them that they were supposed to share and wait for the other brothers and sisters. And so we know that the early church met in probably a court of a home, and they broke bread and they had a meal. But, as they came to the end of that meal, they did something very special that made their meal different than any other meal. And that was they broke bread at the Lord's Supper. Before they went back out, before they went to work again the next day, 
They practiced the sacrament that the Lord had left with them and said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And as they did it, they were remembering God's, Christ's suffering and death on the cross, but they were also proclaiming who Christ was and proclaiming his coming again. And so Christ became the center of their meetings together. My friends, a lot of people think sacrament is added on into the Church of the Nazarene. My mom was raised in the Salvation Army, and they never seen the sacraments uh, there. And I remember they would do a love feast. If the church was in crisis, then they would bring out uh, the Lord's emblems to bring unity in the church. And so I remember my mom beginning to not understand it at first, going to the church of the Nazarene with my stepfather. But over time, she learned to love and appreciate the sacraments and the Lord's Supper. And it's not a tag on. It's not something that we just kind of throw in once a month. It is the very essence that makes us the church. In the fact that we go under the waters of baptism. And we gather at the Lord's table. And we break bread. Oh, it's great to have fellowship and break bread. But it is also integral that we're breaking bread. And having these emblems of our Lord's suffering and death. And proclaiming Christ. In our activities, Christ until he comes again. Oh, pastor, thanks a lot for this message. And here we go. <laughs> they devoted themselves to prayer. And why do I say corporate prayer here? Because corporate prayer, they're together. It's not prayer that I'm praying. It's corporate prayer. And I'm going to be honest with you. I know some got offended quite a while back. I might have even been before COVID. I made this statement. We're not a praying church. Well, that ruffled a few feathers, by the way. And, and I'm saying to you today, I know you pray. Hear me right. I know that you are people of prayer. But we don't pray together. That's what I mean by that. There is something powerful when the people of God come together and agree on earth together and say amen to it so it may be so in heaven. You know, we're looking at all these electric vehicles right now, and we bought a new hybrid. We didn't go, we, well, we couldn't get one for two years if we wanted it anyway. But one of the first stories he told us, well, he said they're not really made for uh, winters in PEI. They'll tell you 347 kilometers. Not in our winters you'll get 347 kilometers. Because apparently a gentleman had bought it and started out towards Charlottetown in the middle of winter. And the car died on him on the side of the road. And he wasn't able to go. No va. That's Spanish. It doesn't go. And uh, that's why Novas didn't sell anywhere in South America. No va. That's just a little side info for your information. They had to change the name of the vehicle. And so he's on the side of the road, and they literally had to bring a generator to recharge his new electric car so he could carry on into Charlottetown. Why do I say that? Prayer is corporate prayers where we plug in as a church. If we're not praying together corporately, we have no power. No corporate prayer, no we're stuck. And we'll never see the things we're praying for individually and dreaming for individually if we're not willing to come and devote ourselves to somehow corporate prayer. 
I remember Jean. Jean was in her 90s, and she was now blind. She became a member of our church in the 70s, and in her 70s, and she said, I don't understand, Pastor, why it took me so long to make a commitment to this church that she attended since her 40s. And here she is now in her 90s and completely blind, and, and uh, she would come out to the Thursday night Bible study that we would have as we studied the book of Romans together, and she was so thrilled that we could study together there in her building. And, and the interesting thing was, you know, she, she said, you know, I, I really struggle, Pastor, because at this season in my life, I, I have a friend that's on the other side of the city, and we would gather together with some other ladies, and we would gather together and pray for each other. And we did that on a regular basis. We just prayed for each other. She had lost her son, and they prayed her through that. She had gone through breast cancer, and they prayed her through that. And, and so they really cared for one another and prayed for one another. And so you know what Jean says? Well, in this season of my life, you know what I do, Pastor? Several times a week, I pick up the phone, and I call her. And the two of us pray over the phone together on a regular basis. And I said, Jean, that is awesome. That's corporate prayer. Now, some of you will say, well, Pastor, I'll do it real quick, and I'll call somebody this week and pray with them, and that's corporate prayer. Jean didn't have a choice, right? It's the same thing with those listening online or anything we do, our Saturday night prayer time. We pray corporately, but it's through multimedia. But we need, as a church, to pray together because that is where our power is. And so, my friends... I end with a story, and after the story, the worship team will come. It's, again, not a popular passage of Scripture to preach. It preaches itself. They were devoted to those four items. You want intentional faith uh, development. You want to grow. You want to be a better uh, person for Christ. Then it has to be nurtured. It has to be cared for. It has to be invested. It will not come by wishful thinking. Now, some of us are out doing what? Trying to get our 10,000 steps. Did you ever see that? Pastor Mike be walking around. I'm watching television. He's walking around, and I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I don't have my 10,000 steps yet. And then, and then Tina has a, a, a watch, and, and she'll say, well, my circles aren't closed yet. I've got to get my circles closed today. And so that's also a health app that if you do, you've got to close your circles. And you watch people, right? And, and you know, all these uh, places make a fortune on, on January for all these New Year's resolutions. Because I'm going to walk more this year, and I'm going to be more fit, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going Well, good intentions, my friends, is not enough. It's, it's got to be brought out into life. Right? The spirit is willing, yes, Lord. But the flesh is what? week. Now what would happen if somebody called you and said, you know what, let's, let's start a walking club. And we're going to walk three times a week and this is the schedule and this is what we're going to do for the next while. What would probably happen? You probably would show up because that person would hold you accountable that let's get together, let's, let's start working on that. If you had a coffee group that was getting together and you said, you know, every week on Thursday nights, we're going to meet at, at the bakery for coffee and share life together, and we're always going to keep two chairs for you, two seats open for you, and we're going to expect you on Thursday night. Chances are, when you came home from work and you were tired, you would still go because they're waiting for you and they've kept two seats for you. 
And so it moves beyond intention. It now moves into action. Well, I want to say to you that all the events in the church, there's two seats for you. <laughs> there's always an opportunity for you to come in and let's hold each other accountable and let's believe with God. God can help us to be people who put not just have nice ideas and good intentions, but put them into practice. Now, I've said it since I've been here. Nobody expects you to be here every time the doors are open. That's what I first heard when I came. Oh, with the doors, we were always there, Pastor. Nobody expects that. But I do believe we're to be doing these four things. Because that's what makes us a church. And I want to challenge you to find those areas in your life where you can come under to our teaching. Find those times in your life where you can have that fellowship. You need to find those times where we are breaking bread together, the Lord's Supper. And you need to find times that you have people that you can pour your heart out and pray for the power of God to move. The cool dudes. Anybody here want to be a cool dude? A group of men were friends and fellow disciples, and they served together and enjoyed fellowship. They participated in sports ministry and golfing, and even a barbecue ministry, because after all, this group was from Texas. But they started to feel restless, and each sensed that he needed something more, and they wanted a real connection to other men of faith, a different and deeper challenge in their spiritual life. One of the men remarked, we want to be like the guy I work with. You know, everyone knows that he's a Christian just by his words and his deeds. They see Jesus in him. He's a cool Christian dude. At about the same time, a ministry had begun in their church that had a gym and for young men from the community to come in and play basketball and to blow off steam and just hang out. And so these group of men decided that they would meet weekly on the Monday so that they would be able to talk about the sermon the Sunday before and they would do it at the same time that these young men were meeting to play basketball. The younger men could see these regular guys taking their faith seriously and studying God's word together and sharing life together and laughing and praying for one another. And the group said, well, you know, we need to come up with a name for our group. This is a true story, by the way. We need to come up for a, a name with our group. And somebody said, well, let's just call our group the Cool Christian Dudes. And so they decided to take Acts 2, 42 seriously and find a way, much like John Wesley did back in the early days of Methodism, find a way to live these things out in their daily lives. Now, <clears throat> all of you look thrilled. You know, the proof, proof is in the pudding. And I leave it at that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. <clears throat> this is where I have done my best to preach his word, and I now leave it with you to see how the Holy Spirit will urge you and nudge you in the days and weeks ahead of what you can do in this intentional faith development, all with God's help. Stand with us. Lord, I remember... Some time ago, somebody had said to us that Wednesday night Bible study always has to be there. Oh, you have to have it. And when they were asked, well, I don't attend, but the church has to have it. 
God, we, we can fall easily into these things that we know our church needs to be a, a place of prayer. We know our church needs to be a place of study of God's word and learning from God's word. We know that we're supposed to be gathering together in fellowship and community. And we know about the sacraments. But Lord, it's something else when we actually are saying, Lord, here I am. I don't want to just know our church has it because I'm the church. I want to be a participant. Yes. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I, I want to grow in the image of Jesus. I want to be nurtured in my faith. I want to be more like Jesus this week than I was last. And so, God, I thank you today. I thank you that most in the sound of my voice have had that crisis moment when they got on their knees before Jesus and have made him Lord and Savior. And if anybody today in the sound of my voice has not, today is the day that you can have that salvation. We, we are told in God's word not to put it off, but today is the day that you can accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But Father, I thank you that that is not enough. That was a crisis, but we're all in the process. And thank you, Lord, we're different, diverse, different places in the process. And you're not finished with any of us yet. Help us to treat each other graciously yes. and to pray for one another and to encourage one another like these cool dudes as iron sharpens iron. And Father, we thank you today that you have a wonderful destiny for all of us. We look forward to when we lay this body down, if the Lord doesn't return yet, and we can lay this body down in confidence that there's one day going to be a resurrection, and we will have a new glorified body. But I thank you today, Lord. That is not our goal. The goal that you have for us is that we would be more like Jesus, that the image of Jesus would be in us, changing us, transforming us, that a world that is lost that have never seen or heard Jesus will see Jesus in us. Yes. Oh, we got a lot of homework this week, Lord. But I thank you for your grace and understanding and empowerment. And I thank you that you're going to work with each one of us individually. And we leave it at that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen and amen.